0: Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and we're glad that you're here. I would like to offer a special welcome to those of you who are visiting with us. We're very glad that you are here, and if you have questions or comments about this faith or this congregation, please do see the knowledgeable and friendly people at the membership table and visitor table out there in the foyer, and they'll be happy to help you. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. It is in the spirit of that heritage that I say, let us greet the holy in our midst by turning to the person to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice? In the light of truth and the warmth of love, we gather to
1: seek, to find, and to share. Good morning. I'm Marcia Sharp. I'm your lay leader this morning, and I've been a member of this church for about 25 years. I'm a lifelong Unitarian, however, proud of it. Our opening words this morning are from Rumi. My heart has become capable of every form. It is a pasture for gazelles and a convent for Christian monks and a temple for idols and the pilgrims' Kaaba, and the tables of the Torah and the book of the Koran. I follow the religion of love, whichever way his camels take. People often ask, you have
0: people who call themselves Unitarian Universalists and they have their practices and their beliefs with roots in Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, humanism, earth-based religions. What holds you together? And you could say, well, one of the things that holds this congregation together is its mission. And it's so important to us that we wrote it on the wall and we say it every Sunday. We gather in community to nourish souls,
1: transform lives, and do justice. This morning's reading is from Ralph Waldo Emerson. A person will worship something, have no doubt about that. We may think our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of our hearts, but it will come out. That which dominates our imaginations and our thoughts will determine our lives and our character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we worship, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming.
0: As we prepare to enter into the silence, let us all breathe together. Deep into that place where we are who we are. It is in the stillness that we find strength, the rare stillness, where we can become more sturdy in our compassion, better able to be good companions for those who are sorrowing and those who are joyful. We hold in our hearts all those who are suffering today, those who are ill or terrified, those who are in harm's way because of war or natural disaster, especially the people of the Sudan and of the Central African Republic, the border between Mexico and the United States. We ask to be taught about when we are called to alleviate the suffering that is in front of us and when we are called to add to the joy. Let us be still together for a moment, knowing that small noises of life and childhood count as silence. You are now invited to light candles of joy, sorrow, and remembrance. Let us continue our meditation with the Buddhist loving kindness meditation or metta meditation. We say this through three times. I'll say a line, you say it after me, should you choose to. The first time through, we say this for ourselves May I be free from danger. May I be mentally happy. May I be physically happy. May I have ease of well being. The second time we say it for someone we love. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of well being. So the third time is a spiritual exercise. We say it for someone against whom we have a resentment. May you be free from danger. May you be mentally happy. May you be physically happy. May you have ease of of well-being. Just a reminder, this changes us, not them. (laughs) Like you hadn't noticed. So a couple of years ago on the Colbert Report, Stephen Colbert was interviewing a congressman from Georgia named Lynn Westmoreland who had sponsored a bill to put uh, the Ten Commandments up in the House of Representatives. He says, why is that important to you? And Westmoreland says, well, the Ten Commandments is, uh, not, a, is not a bad thing uh, for, for people to understand and respect. I'm with you, Colbert responds. And the congressman goes on, where better place would you have something like that than a judicial building courthouse? And Colbert says, right, where better place (laughs) could there be for that than a public building? No, he says, I think if we were totally without them, we may lose a sense of our direction. What are the commandments, Colbert says? What are all of them? <laughs> yes. You want me to name them? Yes, that's it. Well, let's see. Uh, don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Uh, I can't name them all. Right. I, um, I don't want you all to be caught in that position. In case you're ever a representative from Texas. So I'm doing a sermon series on the Ten Commandments. And um, as I told you all the last time I told you about this sermon series, you're going to have to trust me. Because Bible preaching is very hard on Unitarian Universalists. But I swear to you that I will not once tell you what you need to believe or tell you you're going to hell. The whole universalist part of Unitarian Universalist means no hell. So just relax if you haven't already. You know, the Ten Commandments are held as a faith story by all the Abrahamic religions, which are Jews, Christians, and Muslims. Those are three related religions that trace themselves back to Muhammad. And the story of the Ten Commandments is important in all three religions, the story is found both in Deuteronomy and in Exodus. The Hebrew people followed Moses out of Egypt. That coming out is called an Exodus, and that's what that whole book is named after, the coming out um, from Egypt. And they traveled through the Sinai Peninsula till they got to Mount Sinai, named after the peninsula, um, to the land of Canaan, which they thought in their faith was promised to them by God. And Moses left the people down at the bottom. They had to do some uh, clothes washing and some celibacy and some other uh, ceremonial stuff to get ready to receive a word from God. And Moses went up on the mountain and God said, I'm going to talk to you in a voice that people can hear so they'll know that I'm talking to you. And they said there was fire and smoke and the sound of a loud trumpet as God uh, spoke to Moses and my um, Ex-father-in-law said that that was the spaceship that came down. And so some people believe that. Um, Moses came down. It took him a long time. So the people were uh, fretting. Because he was you know, really taking a while. So they had built this golden calf statue. And they started to dance around it. And party very hard. And um, Aaron, Moses' brother, was letting them do this. Moses came down with the commandments. And he saw the people dancing around and partying. And laid out drunk all over the place. And uh, he got mad. And threw the commandments on the ground. Ground them up. Put them in the water. Made the people drink them. About 6,000 people were killed. um, In that whole... Uh, episode, and then he went back up and got them again and came back down with two more tablets. So those were the Ten Commandments. There are actually um, many, many commandments. 690 something, but these 10 were the ones that were always recited, and when people started taking them more uh, with more weight than the others, the Jewish people stopped the recitation of the 10 because they were making them uh, too important, and making the other ones like you didn't have to really keep those, but you do, if you're going to be a good Jew, Jewish person. Um, so, When I learned in seminary that most of the commandments, because they give you all the rest of them in the book of Leviticus, most of the commandments came from either, uh, actually kind of word for word, from the code of Hammurabi, Uh, my faith was discouraged. And I thought, boy, that really puts the kibosh on them coming either from a spaceship or from God. Um, They kind of, they came from Hammurabi. And yet... They still are laws that you might run a pretty good society on, and, um, we are told that our society is based on the Ten Commandments, and kind of, our morality kind of is, but our democracy is based on ten different commandments from the Greek, and I've preached about that before, and I will again, but not today. So this morning, I'm going to talk about the first commandment, which is Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad, which means in Hebrew, Hear, O Israel, uh, the Lord our God is, is one, just one. That's what the Unitarian part means one God, unity, not Trinity. Unitarian, universalist, one God, no hell. So if somebody says, What is Unitarian, universalist? Or as my hair just sort of says, What is Unitarian, universalist? <laughs> I say, One God, no hell. And people go, "Mm." (laughs) hmm. And then they stop talking to you. (laughs) Because they figure if you don't have hell, you're not scared enough to be a good person. (laughs) So uh, nobody really knows the answer to why this is the first commandment. Your God is one. But the, the supposition is that this is the time when humanity had evolved in its understanding of the divine about 1550 B- BCE, when uh, the Egyptians were also going to monotheism to to worship only the god Ra, and when the Jews were going to monotheism to worship only the god Adonai. And so... Um, It also could be that the Jews were surrounded by fertility religions, and uh, those were religions where you had the male gods and the female gods, and they had to be kind of prompted to know what to do to make the earth fertile and grow. And so the people would have raucous uh, worship where they would party very hard and uh, show the gods what to do in order to make the stuff come up from the fields. And the Jews were trying to be set apart and not become another fertility religion, because it was very easy to kind of relax back into that. And um, so the oneness of God was a very important thing to remember, and so that was the first commandment. A more cynical person would say that having one God makes one set of religious professionals, so you get one message, and the people are easier, more easily controlled with just one message and one set of religious professionals but we're not cynical here so there still are people who feel that god that there are many gods I was very surprised because I've been living in a bubble where the people who say God is in everything think it's just the same sacred energy and the people who say God is many uh has many names but is one I thought that was kind of everybody but I found out there's a person in my family who said I don't want a Muslim doctor I want a Christian doctor uh not that the Muslim doctor would not have skills but that I want to have a doctor work on me who believes in the same God I do and I said, does not the Muslim doctor believe in Allah, which just means God? Um, No, Allah is a different God, a false God. So Allah is a God, another God? Yes. (sighs) We watch the movies about Greek myths, and we see Zeus, and we think Zeus is kind of an action figure of a God, kind of quaint. But you know, Zeus... Uh, The Z and the D in linguistics often are interchangeable. Deus, Zeus, same word. Deus is the Latin for God. And we sing in our cantatas, Deus, and we say Deus ex machina when we're talking about a play. I don't think there's a Deus ex machina in this new Paradox Players play. I think it's mostly dancing and a a nice Baptist lady getting to know a nice gay man. But... um, Zeus and Deus are the same word, so Zeus is really another word for God, another name. God has many names. That's what we, mostly of us, most of us think. As far as you can say, this is what Unitarian Universalists think, which you can't really say that. But I just did, so there. You go. Um, to bring this to uh, Unitarian Universalist place. Let me remind you of the Emerson quote that we heard Marcia read. The gods we worship write their names on our faces. Be sure of that. And we will worship something, have no doubt of that either. We may think that our tribute is paid in secret in the dark recesses of the heart, but it will out. That which dominates our imagination and our thoughts Will determine our life and character. Therefore, it behooves us to be careful what we are worshiping, for what we are worshiping, we are becoming. What would you be willing to have tattooed on your face? Which one of your values? God is one. There's one sacred energy. I think that's what this commandment is saying. And yet, we don't have to believe that. We Unitarian Universalists might believe in many gods or many spirits or many different spirits. But most of us, I think, believe in one sacred energy with many different forms and names And it's interesting to try to relate that to what dominates our imagination, what dominates the secret recesses of our hearts, and what do you think about all the time? Do you think about whether people are thinking well of you? If so, that is your guiding value, like your North Star. That's what you steer by, that people think well of you. Or is it that you're looking good? You know, that's um, another steering... North Star for some people, or is it that you have enough money, enough security? Is it that you have your freedom? That's another, some people would have freedom tattooed on their faces. I am a truth addict, but truth without love can be mean. Destruction is necessary for life. I know as a gardener, you have to pull things up in order to plant new things, in order to give things room to grow, but destruction without love is just not inviting to life. I would suggest, as your minister, that you consider making love your guiding principle and everything else secondary to that. So when you speak the truth, speak the truth in love. When you have to be destructive, be destructive with as much love as possible. If you're addicted to beauty, that's wonderful, but be addicted to beauty in a way that is as loving as possible. Now let's talk about love. Love and niceness are not the same thing. So sometimes love means challenge. And sometimes being loving to someone means speaking a truth that they don't really want to hear and that you don't really want to say. And (laughs) you can't speak that to someone without being willing for it to be spoken also to you. That just makes me tired. The Ten Commandments were stored in a box called the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was covered with a golden slab called the Mercy Seat, where God was supposed to sit. And I like that, because I think whatever our box of rules is, it needs to be covered by a mercy seat. See what I mean? So you have to go through mercy in order to get to the rules, Because sometimes mercy is just going to say, honey, hush. No one can tell you the rule about what is most loving. That is something that you have to feel in your heart. And the reason that we are silent together every Sunday is that your heart gets strong and clear enough to know the answer. What is loving enough? We're here together every Sunday to try to grow a smart heart. To grow a a good soul. A good sturdy soul. Something that knows what the most loving thing to do is. So when we come to worship. The word worship means worth Skype. It just means holding up that which is of greatest worth to us. So when somebody say. How can you call it worship? And um, some people don't even believe in God. You say. Well worship means holding up that which is of worth. So. Some people feel that, that their idea of God is of most worth, and other people feel that other things are of most worth. And uh, our minister says that we should consider having love be that thing that we lift up. So as we come to worship where we lift up what is of most worth this morning, I, I ask you to consider what, what do you organize your heart around? What do you organize your thoughts around? What do you organize your life around? Around, and what would your Ten Commandments be? If you had to make ten things you live by, what would they be? I would look forward to hearing those from you. We have the privilege of being a self supporting congregation, we don't have corporate sponsorship. This is not the Toyota worship hour. We don't get money from the government. We don't get money from our denomination. In fact, it goes the other way. So we don't have anyone telling us what we can say or what we can do. And we are willing to pay for the freedom of this privilege. Let there now be an offering taken to sustain and to strengthen this place and its mission. Please give generously. All blessings on your gifts and all blessings on you as givers. First Unitarian Universalist appreciates your offerings and even more appreciates the offering of your presence, your attention, your joys, your sorrows. Thank you for making this church what it is. Please say together with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until we are together again. The lone wild bird in lofty flight is still with thee, nor leaves thy sight. And I am Thine, I rest in Thee. Great Spirit, come and rest in me. Go in peace.
1: This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu dot o-r-g